take your Bibles, go ahead and uh, access God's words to Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have your Bible or don't have uh, used to that, we'll have the passages that we use up on the screen behind me today as well. That's exciting. I can like a little bass playing while I'm speaking this morning. You ever had a, one of those places you just feel at home? Maybe it is your home. Maybe it's a childhood home that you went back to or uh, maybe it was a job or just some place that when you go in, you feel at home. Everything feels at peace. The world is right. Uh, everything is just there. I, I still feel that way when I go to my mom and dad's. When I'm back in Georgia and I go visit, I come in. There is food that I like there. There is stuff that I can't get anywhere else except for home. It's the only place that I still drink sweet tea. I mean, it is just, I feel at home when I get there for so many different reasons. There's just unity in that moment. And that is what God designed us to feel like when we're around other believers and when we're in his presence, this feeling of home, this feeling of unity. And that's what the book of Ephesians really teaches. And it's what we're going to be studying over the next few weeks together as we start this series called Unity. Now, I want to be very clear on the front end right here. Like when I was preparing this and thinking about this series, I thought a series on unity, united. Like this is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be easy. It is not. (laughs) It is not easy. The more I began to think about and study unity, I realized how quickly we live in disunity, how much we embrace that and how much it's a part of our everyday life that sometimes we invite into our lives and to it, unity is actually something we have to fight for, and it's something that we have to change perspectives in our life to move toward. And so today, as we embark on this new series titled Unity, of this idea of feeling at home, feeling in the right spot, the goal of this series is to actually fight against one of the most destructive natures that we have as humans. Our goal will actually be to do battle with emotions, perspectives, opinions, and belief that are literally ingrained in our soul. And this concept that we're fighting against is the embodiment of the attitude of division. Division. We live in a divided world. There is zero doubt about that. Think about it for a minute. How do we typically define ourselves to other people? When some, when you meet somebody and you connect with somebody for the first time and they ask you questions, you don't often say what it is that you have in common with them. You often start with what you, how you differ from that person. Think about it geographically for a minute, all right? You meet somebody and you say, where are you from? Our first answer is not the earth, right? The earth is common to everyone. Like we don't start at our point of commonality. We usually start with some way that we differentiate ourselves from other people. So I'm from this country. I'm from this state. I'm from this city. And the more you go even here in New York, I'm from this neighborhood I'm from, I live on this street. I live in this building. I live on this floor. We, we like to dif- differentiate ourselves as much as we can to help identify who we are. We define ourselves by our divisions instead of our commonalities. And we don't just do this geographically, do we? I mean, we do it with our taste in food, our taste in music, our taste in movies, TV shows, clothes, and even the type of people we like to be associated with. It's not good enough to just tell someone that you like Italian food. You have to say, I'm a particular fan of the pastas found in the Tuscany region, right? I mean, you have to, you differentiate yourself. I like you, you want to define it a little bit more. And even if you find something in common with somebody, what are we often tempted to do? 
I call it the add-on, right? Oh, yeah, I like that. You like it too? Well, let me tell you how I like it better than you do. And we start telling them we're adding on to the story while we are different than them. Now, that different isn't bad. I'm not saying that this morning, but it is something that leads us to a point of division. We're going to see that as we continue to study. We, we find value in our differences, but the truth is we don't want to be too different. Do we? Want to, we don't want to be so different that we can't connect with anybody. We want to be similar enough to be accepted and respected and, and not yet so alike that we lose our individuality. Why do we do this? Why is this our nature? The truth is it can be traced back to our origins, to the very beginning of who we are, the very beginning of humanity with Adam and Eve. We, if you're familiar with the, the story of Adam and Eve and the original sin in the Bible, God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to do it anyway. Their sin was not just a sin of disobedience, of choosing to bite and eat a certain fruit. It's not like God said, don't eat apples, and they chose to eat apples. That's not what it was. Instead, it was a desire by Adam and Eve to distinguish themselves from their creator, from God. They wanted to know something that he didn't know. They wanted to experience something that he had not experienced. They wanted to be like him, but yet different than him at the same time. It wasn't a rejection of God. Instead, it was a desire to become gods themselves. That was the original sin. I want to be distinctive. God, you created me. You made me. You know everything about me. And our original sin was to say, well, I want to be a little bit different. I want to create some division. The original sin was a sin of division. And this is why we need this series. Because it's not just a problem that Adam and Eve have. This is a problem that you and I struggle with on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. Our world, our culture has embraced this mentality of division instead of unity. And even as I say this, some of you already have a disagreeable spirit coming to your mind. And you're like, well, hold on. We should be different. Like everyone, everyone's not created the same. People value different things, and that's okay. It doesn't make anybody less important, and that's all true. All these statements are true. This kind of thinking eventually leads us to looking at each other and seeing only our differences and forgetting about what we all have in common and that that we are created creations of God in his image. This is the birthplace of division. Distinction is the birthplace of division. Now, our culture seems to be defined by division right now. We lack unity in everything from political positions to personal belief systems. There are days we can't seem to agree with anybody about anything. You ever have that day you just wake up and like you and your spouse or whoever happens to be in your apartment or your house, like you're just disagreeable with each other. You, you wake up, they don't like you, you don't like them for whatever reason. Something just happened in the night magically. You went to bed happy and you woke up disagreeable. I don't know what causes that. If I could figure out what I was eating that made that happen, I wouldn't eat it anymore. But it, it just happens sometimes. We have these moments where we're just, and it's this nature of who we are. We embrace the idea that different is good, yet we are frustrated when others don't think like I do or believe like I do. Division never leads to unity. And this is the trap of division. When we first see ourselves as different than others, when that is how we define ourselves as different, we see the value in who we are, but at some point, we lose the ability to see the value in the other person. We get angry with somebody who has a different perspective on social issues 
than I do. We begin to hate those who have different political views than we do. And you end, we end up sometimes at war with those that even have different spiritual views than we do. And while I'm not saying that all we have to do is agree on everything and if we can just sit here and let's all come out of here on the same political party, the same side of every discussion, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm not, and I'm also not saying that there are not certain types of behaviors and things that need to be dealt with and need to be confronted, rebuked, and punished. That there's, there's truth on both sides of that. However, what I am saying today is this, that a life that lives looking first at division and how I am different from others, and it will define your relational engagement as always being a little divisive and separation and against unity. And this is not the life God intended for a Christ follower, for those who say that we want to follow Christ to live in unity with others. Instead of trying to get everyone to think and act like me, which is uniformity, we should instead focus on becoming more like Christ, which is where we find unity. So the study through the book of Ephesians will help us better navigate the uncertain waters of finding unity without expecting uniformity. Now, I want to pause for just a minute before we jump into the study because this is a challenging thought. It's a challenging thought for me when I wrote this because I I go back and forth between saying, oh, be who you are. God created us all as individuals. We're all unique creations of God. There's even scriptures that back that up. And then there's parts over here that may go, you know, let's let's all find something to agree on. Let's all find a way to connect. Let's all grow together. And to try to live somewhere here in the middle can be frustrating. Like, I see you as an individual, but, man, we want to be part of this family. And where God got me on this this week was to do this. It's like you don't have to change everything about you. Just change how you look at people. When you look at people first, when you engage with people first, don't see what's different. See what's alike. Connect first. What do you have in common Versus what do you have is different. Because when I connect with somebody and all I see is their differences, what does that make me? Defensive. I get defensive in nature. I start wanting to tell them why their side is wrong and why I am right. Whereas when I start with a point of commonality, when I can find something that we can agree on, we at least start on the right foot together. So it's not about trying to get somebody to be like you or you becoming like somebody else. It's this idea of let's look as we look at each other, let's find this point's of commonality. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to be embarking on this journey to really change how we view each other, how we understand the God-given ability we have to have deep personal relationships with those with deep personal differences than us. You realize we can do that? We can be deep personal friends with even those people that we have deep personal differences with. It's not impossible. It's not out of the norm. That's actually the definition of unity. It's not that we find unity because we all think alike. It's we find unity because we all learn to be able to connect together even in our differences. That's unity. So before we jump into the study of Ephesians, let me give you a little background on this book. If you've never read the book of Ephesians or or don't know much about it, I want to help you understand it. First of all, to understand the book of Ephesians, you have to understand the city of Ephesus where it was written. So Ephesians means the letter to the church of Ephesus, which was in, it's in modern day Turkey today, if you kind of knew where, if you want to geographically put it on a map. And Ephesus at the time was one of the largest, if not the largest trade cities. They had a port, 
at the time, and there was a big trade city. People from all over the world were coming into Ephesus every day. And the people of Ephesus were literally being invaded, not taken over, but there were pockets of these group of people, pocket of this this group would show up on this boat. And it was just a whole group of the world was showing up in Ephesus. Does that sound familiar? Sound like New York? I mean, it's this idea that the world is here. And people in Ephesus that had been from Ephesus and had lived there were struggling with how do we interact with these people that we don't understand, that we're different from, and we seem to have nothing in common with. And Paul is writing this book to, to not rebuke them, but to teach them. And that's the second thing. You have to understand the entirety of this writing. Sometimes Paul, the author of this book, writes letters to churches to rebuke them and be like, hey, let me tell you exactly what you're doing bad and how to get better. And in Ephesians, what he's doing, he's writing to teach them. He's saying, I'm seeing you have an issue. I'm seeing something is going on. Let me give you some wisdom to live by. And it was about changing their view of new people and how they saw their city being these new people coming in on a daily basis. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look in chapter 1, and we're going to begin with a truth, trying to grab a truth that will help us on this series from here on out. And it's this idea that we see in chapter 1 that we all start at the same point in God's eyes. We all start at the same point. When you read through Ephesians 1, it reminds us over and over again, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter what country you live in, no matter what your history is, Paul here is taking everybody back to something that they have in common. And he gives us a few things to think about, and I want you to see these here. Look at Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 4. with me. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. The first truth I want you to see here about understanding that we start from the same place is this. No one is more deserving than anybody else. These two verses should be an encouragement to us. It says from the very foundation of the world, God chose in his goodness to bless each of us. You do not come into this world to prove yourself to God. Instead, you came into this world blessed by God. Hear that. Sometimes we have been taught, sometimes it has been beaten us. From the minute you get here, you got to prove yourself to God. And that's not what Scripture teaches. Instead, it says the moment you stepped into this world, you were blessed by God. We make choices that separate us from God, but God is not the one who pushed us away. And now we got to prove ourselves to him. And sometimes we say, well, you know, I'm not as blessed as these other people. There are people that I know that are born into to wealth or good health. I, I was born with this or that. And physical circumstances have never been what God has equated to spiritual blessings. And so when he says you're blessed, it's not by how much money is your banking account, what job you have, how stable your finances is, how healthy you are. It is instead about your relationship with him. Instead, just like each of us, when we come into this world, are dependent on someone to help us physically nourish and offer security to us, we also come into this world in need of spiritual security and nourishment. And that's why God is, Paul is saying here, you are blessed. God is doing that for you. He is looking after you spiritually. I remember when we first came home with PJ, right? I'm like, we, we kind of had this idea what we were supposed to do. We had taken all these classes and, you know, all this stuff. He'd sleep. If he cries, don't do that. And all, we thought we were prepared, right? No way. 
you know, first time parent, you, you, if you've walked that path, you, there's no way to be prepared for that. And so we're going and we're learning as we go. And we realize this, we, Katie and I were talking like one day, like, if we leave, he's not going to make it. Like, you know, not that we were thinking of leaving. Don't hear that, PJ. Like, uh, but we were like, you know, like this child is completely dependent on us. Like he can't even get out of bed by himself. Like, he, you know, like completely dependent. And I remember one time we were talking and I was, uh, people were asking how it was going and if he was sleeping. And I was like, oh, yeah, things are going great. PJ sleeping through the night. And, and Katie looked at me and was like, no, he's not. She's like, you are, but he's not. And I, I was like, oh, really? And I, she's like, no, I'm still up like every three hours. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I've always been a heavy sleeper. And I was like, you know, this ch- every three hours, this kid needed us. And we come in this world needing God. And I love the fact he is not this absentee God. He is blessing us. And it isn't because of the family that we're from or the country we are born to. It is simply because from the little beginning of the universe, God has a passionate love for every human being, everyone. He loves us not because of the value we can add to him, but instead because of the immediate depth, the immeasurable depth of love that he carries for each one of us. He doesn't see us at our birth, at our beginning, or any point in our life and go, what can you do for me? He's always saying, out of my love for you, I am providing for you. He's providing. We are united in love. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says this, in love. So what he was just talking about, in love, then he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace from which he has blessed us in the beloved. The second truth I want you to see out of 5 and 6 here is this. No one is more valuable than anybody else. So no one has uh, is more deserving than anyone else, but also no one is more valuable than anyone else. These two verses tell us that we have been adopted. We are part of God's family. This is so unique. It, it isn't that God takes care of us like some illegitimate child or, or he has to pay child support for us. He does this out of obligation. He has chosen to bring us into his family. Michael and Shannon are going through a second adoption right now. They are not waiting until Mercy Lynn gets here to treat her like part of the family, until her presence is here in the city with them. Mercy Lynn is already part of their family, fully part of their family. And that's a picture of what God has done for us. He has fully embraced us and drawn us and called us into this family. We stand before him not as slaves and not as beggars, but as sons and daughters. And, and this is um, amazing as this is, we can also uh, often make it divisive as well, because here's what we do. We get that standing and we go stand before God. We are in and we say, I am in God's family. And we look at people that seem outside of God's family and we go, boy, they better shape up if they want what I got. We start thinking we've done something to deserve this that we have earned this and we forget that we're actually the ones that were the recipients of God's glorious grace. And we start trying to hold God's grace back from other people. And God's like, stop doing that. You know, you know, this, we can see this in everything from national origin to skin color, to political views, to gender, to sexual practices, to places, 
people in whatever categories we can to say this is how valuable you are to God. Think about it in this sense. How often do we say, God bless the USA, right? I, I love my country, but here's what we say when we say, God bless the USA. God, we have drawn these man-made borders, and the people that happen to be within those borders, we would like you to bless this group of people, this group. Now, we might not say, well, you can bless other people too, but we would actually like you to bless us a little bit more. That's how we come across. Instead of saying, God, the, the world, we want the world to experience your grace. We want every person from every culture, every tribe, every nation, God, every one of your creations, we want them to experience your grace. I'm no valuable than anybody else because of my origin, where I was born, what color I was born. I have no value in any of that. I have value in God's grace. That's it. We are his workmanship, every one of us. And you may look at somebody and see the differences in the color or whatever, and you go, I'm not like that person. But you know what? God spent just as much time intricately making that person as he did you. He's had much value in that person. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says this, In him then, once we've been adopted and brought into this inheritance, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The third truth is this. No one is in more need than anybody else. No one is farther from God than anybody else. These two verses continue this idea of understanding our value. While many of us fall into the trap of thinking that we somehow are more valuable to God than other people, many of us often struggle with the exact opposite. We think that they, that others are more valuable than us. I'm the broken one. I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm the one that can't be redeemed. And we put ourselves below others. And these reverses that this type of thinking is just as wrong as the other. God's love, his redemption, his grace, and his forgiveness, it says, are lavished upon us. This literally means more than enough. It's not just enough grace. God does not give you just enough grace. He gives you more than you need. It is lavished upon you. His love, his mercy are so great that they cannot be contained. And my challenge to you this morning is to open your heart and open your mind and stop shielding your life from God's grace and his goodness. You walk around the city much and it starts to rain. These magicians pop up, right? These guys, they pop out of nowhere with thousands of umbrellas. I'm like, where did you come from? One, where did you come from? And where did these umbrellas come from? I mean, it like barely starts. It's like, I have umbrellas, $5, you know, and they're not very good umbrellas. They last till the end of the rain. But what do we do? The rain starts coming down. We go like, oh, my gosh, I can't get wet. Something horrible is going to happen to me if I get wet. And so we get the umbrella, and we try to shield ourselves from the rain and get under cover. And the truth is, sometimes we do the exact same thing with God's grace. We start to feel a little good in our life. We start to feel a little loved in our life, and we pop that umbrella up and go, nope, I don't deserve this. It's too good for me. And we shield ourselves from God's grace. And I want you to hear today, no one is more need than anybody else. You are not a black sheep. You're not the, the, the one ostracized out of the family. You're not the one person that God cannot love. You are as much a recipient of God's grace as anyone else. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says, As in him we have obtained an inheritance. 
having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The first fourth truth we see here is this. No one has more access to God than anybody else. Some of you in here I know are searching and trying to figure out who God is and how you relate to God. Some of you have just begun a faith journey. Some of us in here have been following Christ in the ways of God for many, many years, different points in our journey. But I want you to understand different points in our journey doesn't mean that I am closer to God or I have more access to God than you do. That's what it's talking about here. We, we have all, anywhere we ever, when we engage with God on this journey, we have all obtained an inheritance. And I want you to know, if, I, if I've been a Christian 10 years longer than you in here, it's not like I've spent all the inheritance. All right? I didn't get to it first and use it all up, and then you come in and be like, oh, there's nothing left for me. Just get the leftovers. This inheritance is not something that we're waiting at a lawyer's desk waiting to be told how much we have. This inheritance is an access that we have to the complete nature and character of God. Completely. Each of us. Each of us is there. There is no favorite child. No chosen few. My grandmother passed away. My mom's mom passed away a few years ago. And I had the the joy of being a part of speaking at her funeral. And uh, I, I was one of the last ones to speak. And as I was sharing, I brought up the question. We called her nanny. And I said, uh. Many people have asked me over these last few days, who is Nanny's favorite grandchild? And I said, there's a simple answer for that. It was me. And every other grandchild on the front was like, what? Like, you know, how did, what, how did we not know this? And I said, the, the truth is, though, whoever would be standing up here could answer the same thing. Whatever grandchild. There was no favorite, but everyone was the favorite. Everyone had complete access. She would do special things for each one. I what she would do for me, what was special for me, if she did it for somebody else, it wouldn't be special for them. They wanted something else. She knew how to do that. And that's what God does. He's not, he doesn't give you what he gave to this person. He gives you what you need. That not, nobody has more access than you. Final thing is verse 13 and 14. It says this. It says, Then in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The last truth is this. No one has more security than you. You are secure in God. You can't lose God's love. It will not be one day revoked or not renewed. You're not going to get a rent increase next week. To be with God, you've got to do more. It's not the way it works. As you embrace his love and experience his salvation, you are secure in him. It says it seals us. His spirit is a guarantee of that. Mom and dad got in yesterday and was talking on the plane. They didn't get to sit together, so they were their flights got crazy. And so um, my mom was sitting by somebody and found out his uh, husband and wife had been married for 40 years. The husband went to a high school reunion, came back, and said, I'm done. I'm getting divorced. I'm going with somebody that I... Knew him from high school. I'm done with you. It's done. I, I like. I was sh- when she told me that story. I was like, forty years. Like, hey, I mean, we were just all like kind of a little flabbergasted. And uh, as I was thinking about this morning, I I think sometimes maybe we think God's going to show up one day and be like, you know, I'm moving on to somebody else. You just you messed up too much. You just you know I've tried. I've really tried to love you, 
but I just can't anymore. I think sometimes we think that, that we've got to keep God on the hook. Like, we've got to keep him loving us. When you go back to this idea that this, if you absolutely did nothing to deserve the origins of God's love, you can do absolutely nothing to lose his love. It's not dependent on you. And that's security. Each of us have complete security. So what does this mean for you and me? When we realize that we, every person has value to God, every person is loved by God, every person has access to God, has security in God, it will change how we interact with each other. It will unite us instead of dividing us. We realize we're all coming from the same starting point. We are all on the same team. We're not competing with each, with each other for God's love. We're not trying to impress him more than the other person. We are experiencing this fully together. And Ephesians 1.17 closes out and says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, if you live this way, if you do this, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Here's what, if you go on to read, I'm not going to read the rest of it there. If you go on to read, it talks about what the spirit of wisdom is. The spirit of wisdom is this. It is when we see God for who he really is. We start seeing him as a God, of, a good God, a God of love, a God who gives security, a God who gives access, a God who is there, a God who is not going to fail us one day. We start to actually see him for who he is. We don't try to pop the umbrella up and shield his grace. We radically and readily receive it. And the spirit of revelation is this. Not that we just see God for who he really is, but then we start seeing others the way that God sees us changes how I look at you and how you look at me. And I stop seeing the differences. I stop seeing what divides us. And I'm not asking you to be like me. And I'm not asking, you're not asking me to be like you. But what we are doing is we are finding commonality in who we are at God and how we were created by God and how we're to interact with one another. So my question for the day is this. Are you a divider or a uniter? How do you live your life? Do you walk through and always find the differences that lead to division? And again, I'm not saying we all got to be uniform. We'd say it all the time here. Unity is what we want, not uniformity. But do we always, are we the ones that just always try to create just a little division, a little separation, instead of coming in and saying, how can we walk through these relationships in this church? in the city, and in the world, finding what we have in common with people. And as we do, remember that what unites us is God and his love. Will you join me as we pray?